With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And joining us now is the great founder of Just the News. Always has some great scoops. Our favorite, John Solomon. John, what do you got for us today? Well, a lot of people have been talking about uh, the Tucker Carlson tapes, which are really the Kevin McCarthy tapes, which, by the way, are really the tapes that Ron Johnson first told us about a year ago. And there's a debate. Should they release him? Is it misinformation? But here's the big thing. This, this, these new tapes are going to result in a lot of action in courts. Why? There are lots of January 6th defendants, 900 of them, in fact, that may not have seen all of the footage that may relate to them. That's called Brady requirement and under the law. Any defendant should be given any evidence of uh, innocence that could be on video or any other form of evidence. A lot of these defendants are already going to their judges saying, hey, judge, I didn't get that. Um, I didn't get that uh, videotape. I didn't get the videotape even about me. There must be videotape of me. I want to either delay my trial. I want to reopen my case. I want to reconsider my plea deal. Uh, they're stacking up in the courts very quickly. So this debate over whether the tape should be aired or not actually spilling into the court system where I think long term, it may have a much larger consequence. Uh, John, uh, we were talking with Professor Dershowitz yesterday, and uh, Dershowitz was shocked at uh, all the revelations. Uh, and I've been saying it for a year, and people have been criticizing me for even saying it. I said, there's something wrong here that we don't know about. Those doors didn't open by themselves. They didn't knock them down. And there was agitators uh, among the crowd that were looked like they were paid agitators to create uh, the agitation. Yeah, there's no doubt. It, tonight on my television show, Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson is going to be on. He says that he watched uh, a video footage a year ago in which more than 300 of the protesters, 300 of the people that entered the Capitol that day were let through a door left open by Capitol Police. That makes no sense. Capitol Police are trained to keep those doors locked, to keep those doors guarded. He uh, sent a letter a year ago, never got an adequate response back from the Capitol Police. You take that with the uh, what Tucker Carlson showed us of the shaman, the guy that uh, with the strange horns that were being escorted around the Capitol, not being arrested by the police. There are some very serious concerns. And last week, as we had the chance to talk about, the GAO has now come out and said not one, not two, not three, but 10 federal agencies had intelligence suggesting there was going to be serious violence on January 6th, and none of them adapted the security plan, particularly the Capitol Police, to prepare for that event, which means most of the Capitol Police you see in those videos, they went into work thinking it was going to be a normal day when someone in their chain of command knew it was going to be a violent day. It, it was um, my belief that a lot of it was orchestrated, and uh, there was a it's just very sad, but I think the American people just want to get down to the truth. They, all we want is the truth. It defies logic, too, and they knew that so many people were going to come to the Capitol that day. And why has Nancy Pelosi not been called to testify? I mean, we still need answers. 
Where was the security breakdown? Well, and that, and that other person that shot that uh, that woman, that uh, what was she? Yeah, Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt. And, and they shot her. They, they, she, she, she had nothing. She, nobody was in, in fear of their lives. And that guy, basically, we he, have it. He got he got honored. He got honored instead of getting twenty years, John. Yeah, listen, I think there's going to be a lot more information about the officers involved in this, what they knew, the whistleblowers. I've talked to more than a dozen Capitol Police whistleblowers, current and former, that are helping me to understand better. Uh, last night, I listened to some audio tapes to the radio transmissions of January 6th. There's an officer trying to help the House and Senate evacuate because they, they don't want to get into a situation where they will have to shoot someone or have to confront the average. He can't get an answer from his command. What should I do it? Should I do it? He doesn't get an answer in these radio transmissions. Capitol Police leadership, many of them were AWOL. And one of the most amazing things you learn when you go through the body of evidence I've reviewed for the last year, the Capitol Police chief, Steve Sutton, the man that gets fired and held accountable, he was kept in the dark by his own lieutenants about what was going on. He was out of the loop, and his own lieutenants were not handling the situation as police training would suggest they do. There is a big question why a police department would leave their chief out of the loop the way he was. We're, we're hardly scratching the surface of what we need to know to make a final determination. About maybe, maybe, he was, maybe he wasn't trusted by, uh, by a certain group. And uh, what I was disappointed in yesterday, I know Senator Schumer for 40 years. I was very, very disappointed on what he talked about last night, uh, saying that uh, Fox should pull, uh, pull it off the air, they should not allow it to run, and it should be kept confidential. Why? Yeah, let the American public see the tapes. The I mean, truth, let us, that's let us, all. Wherever it goes, don't you think, John? My goodness. Uh, we got a, we, we got a minute left. Uh, John, anything else you want to say? Well, listen, I think one of the, it isn't just Senator Schumer that's suggesting that these tapes shouldn't come out. There's a journalism organizations doing that, and it makes me scratch my head. Journalists should be about getting more facts out, should be about getting more transparency out. And yet you see some of the legacy media joining in with the Schumers and the others, the Capitol Police, criticizing the release of these tapes. Journalists should be happy that more information is coming out so we can make a more informed decision. Our own profession has kind of been turned upside down by these videotapes. Agree 100%. Uh, John Solomon, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Sounds good, guys. Have a great night. Thank you, John. You always have great stuff. Thank you. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. We have a, a, a New York's most powerful woman. The most powerful Wait woman in New York. I thought your co-host was that. Uh, 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 we have the we have with us uh, Kathy Wild, president and CEO of the uh, New York City Partnership. The represents uh, the Fortune 100, 200, whatever. Kathy Wild, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, John. Great to be with you all always. And well, by the way, Kathy, happy International Women's Day to us. Well, yes, to us, absolutely. Tell us, uh, we're all worried about New York, and I think finally, I think uh, a lot of people are worried more. I mean, the budget is due April 1st, and uh, we're going to just find out who's governor, Governor Hokum or, uh, or the state Senate. Well, we are, in fact, in state budget season, and that's always uh, making us nervous. In the business community, we're typically on the defensive when it comes to the state budget. 
um, trying to make sure that we don't raise taxes in ways that um, force businesses and jobs to leave New York City, to say nothing of high earners who pay 40% of the state income taxes. We lost 484,000 jobs so far, uh, 484,000 people so far in New York City and New York State. And how many, how many more can we afford to lose? Well, one of the things we have to do is make sure that we keep people coming. So we've got to make sure that New York is attractive for people who are looking at coming here. I will say that for women college graduates, we're the number one choice destination. So on International Women's Day, we have something to celebrate. Oh, that's good news. You know, Kathy, this is Rita Cosby. I'm happy to hear that young women want to come to New York. Um, As a woman, I get nervous walking around the city and uh, you see these headlines. How do we draw people back to New York, to John's point, especially uh, there was the video the other day of this, you know, I'm sure you saw it at this Chinese restaurant where all these people came in and swarmed on the restaurant. It's it's the, you know, crime, shoplifting. It's hurting businesses. How do we inspire people to come back when they see these headlines? Well, it's very important that we do inspire people to come back and that we've got to have both the reality of having a safe, clean city to bring them back, as well as um, as well as the messaging. So what we've got to work on, I think, is the same thing that we did in the 70s and 80s. The citizens didn't wait for government to fix everything. We really stepped up. I don't know how many of you were around then, but I was around, and we were organized, and we took action, and we really, we really took back our city. And I think we've got to have the same thing happen again today. We've got to figure out how all of us can contribute to making New York safer, cleaner, not sit around and wait for government to do it. Borough President uh, Vito Fasella. Hey, Kathy, it's Vito Fasella. Uh, so along hey, those, uh, along those lines... Uh, Thanks, Kathy. It's good to hear your voice. Along those lines, when you say organize and get things going, I mean, are there suggestions that you have that we should be doing? And secondly, we talk about the reality of crime. There's also the perception of the situation. And what's your sense of how that perception plus the reality drives the office market in whether we downtown or midtown and the concern that many of these landlords or developers are, are having? Well, there's a competition actually today. Uh, crime was the top issue by far a year ago. Uh, there has been some progress on reduction in crime this year, and we can all we should be celebrating that we're headed the right direction. We've got a ways to go, but the big crisis that's coming up is affordability. People who can't afford to live here. And that has a lot to do with taxes. A third of regulated apartments rent are real estate taxes. We have the highest utility taxes in the country. So going back to John's original point about the state budget season, I think that's something we have to be thinking about. The governor has said she's not going to raise taxes, but it's unclear once the legislative budget, each house has their own budget to come out. It's unclear how things will go. So we've got to keep track of crime and affordability. Those are our two issues. Uh, Kathy, the other thing that's going on, I hear uh, uh, from the Business Council that uh, Attorney General Tish James is circulating to go after uh, businesses uh, in the in the state. I mean, do we, do we do we need to chase more businesses out? 
We certainly don't. I think you saw the comments that Jamie Dimon made about how his growth and his people in Texas, as opposed to New York, there is a lot of movement uh, of jobs to Florida as well. These are states that have no income tax. And it's uh, what we're trying to do is convince the political leaders that it matters and that don't don't wait till we have a crisis, an exodus like we had in the 70s. We lost half our Fortune 500 companies. We lost almost a million jobs. Wow. Kathy, it's uh, so it's, we we can't have that happen. again. And I'm afraid that between what's going on in the state Senate, what's going on in the, in the state assembly and and what what uh, uh, the attorney general is trying to do, going after uh, uh, businesses uh, all over the state under this, what was the new rule, Judge with Weinberg? It, with it, hi, Kathy. It's, they're starting to talk about expanding the definition and responsibilities of price gouging. The problem is price gouging means different things to different people. It's not backed by, by the economics of, of the real market realities. So when Tish James is t- talking about price gouging, one person's price gouging is another person's just dealing with the, with the market. And she puts companies in defensive positions on investigations and litigation, which makes it an untenable place to do business. And that's well, very, very dangerous. Another, another example, Richard, which is um, that uh, the Department of Justice yesterday sued JetBlue and Spirits merger. JetBlue is, crit- is the only major airline we have left headquartered in New York City. Everybody else, Eastern, Pan Am, et cetera, are gone. And their survival and the, the ability of a low fare carrier to compete really depends on this merger between JetBlue and Spirit. And here we are where we're talking about 7,000 jobs in New York that are at risk as Florida and their attorney general said, we will not join this suit. Our congressional delegation will support this merger, which is being, you know, it's being challenged on the basis of antitrust. And it's ridiculous because they're a very small. They're only nine percent of the airline industry. That's exactly right. They don't from an antitrust perspective. They don't dominate the market. They're not monopolists. They're trying to survive. Eighty percent of the market is the four larger airlines. So all these we, we got a minute left before we break. Yeah. Peter King. Yeah, this is Peter King. I, I have some interest in involved with a law firm who's dealing with JetBlue. Having said that, right now, it's, almost all the congressmen are on board to sign a letter supporting it. The TWU is putting tremendous pressure on them, and right now, it's hard to get anyone to go along with the merger. So there's, there's tremendous union pressure. There's an internal union fight between the unions at Spirit and the unions at JetBlue, and unfortunately, I think New York is going to suffer. It's really terrible. Unbelievable. They'll wind up closing both airlines. New York is the loser. Absolutely the loser. You know, they'll get up and move to Florida, too. Yes. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully this will be defeated. Hopefully this will be turned around. Kathy Wild, you're one tough lady. You know, you're the president of, uh, uh, of big businesses in New York. Stay on top of it. We love you. And we're depending on you to stay on top of this and 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 have some common sense uh, in our state. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, John. Love you, too. Love you, too. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Let's go to the transit street. Yeah, in fact, right now we were talking about crime and joining us now here on Cats and Cosby is the chief of transit for the NYPD, Chief Michael Kemper. Uh, Chief, great to have you here. This is Rita Cosby. Rita, John, everyone, good afternoon. You know, uh, we were just talking about how crime is driving so many people out of New York. They see the headlines over and over again. Um, How do you turn it around? It seems like there's at least been a little bit better numbers on the transit, at least on subways of late. Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me on tonight. Um, And this is a great opportunity for me to update your listeners and and, and you guys on some very encouraging and uh, very, very good news coming from the New York City subway system when it comes to crime. Uh, if, if I may, I'll start with where we were last year. Uh, I'll talk about our plan, and I'll talk about the results where we stand right now because the results are extremely promising. So last year in 2022, uh, it's no secret, uh, crime in the subway system was spiking. And after the first 10 months of the year, uh, overall major index crimes in the transit system was up uh, about 41.9%, almost 42% in the subway system, which is uh, extremely high and unacceptable. And Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul uh, came together uh, and they uh, put an investment uh, in safety in the subway system. And it was uh, carried under the Cops, Cameras, and Care program. And basically what this did was uh, it recognized that crime was spiking way too high and it allowed us, the NYPD, to infuse, if you will, an additional 1,200 cops a day uh, into the subway system to patrol. And that started on October 25th. And the results um, in relation to a driving crime down and preventing crime uh, came quickly and dramatically. By the way, that's great news because people see cops. I mean, you feel so much more assured. Vito Facella, you have a question. Uh, Just the the question is, how can we get even better? Because I get back to the reality and the perception once again. If people feel unsafe, they're not going to take the subway. They're not going to take mass transit. It's great news, Chief, and credit you and all your officers for trying to bring about crime and bring it down. So kudos to you. How do we make it better? Police are needed in this city. The defund police, the, the defund the police movement is fortunately gone for now. How do we make things better for the citizens of this city? So, so all great points. And let me get through the crime stats, and then at the end of it, how do we, uh, how do we continue it? We got to remain focused because. Uh, we're making significant progress. So we went from 42% up in crime uh, uh, on October 25th of last year for the first 10 months. Um, year to date this year, uh, so for the first uh, two plus months of this year, 2023, we're down 21.5% in overall crime. So we went from an increase of 42% to a decrease the first two plus months of this year of 21.5%. Let me go further with that. We're down in all four boroughs that we police. That 21.5% reduction most notably includes a 20% reduction in robberies, a 23% reduction in grand losses, an 18% reduction in felony assaults. Let me say this also, an interesting fact. 2023, the first two months, is the second best two-month start of the year 
in recorded history, second only to 2021, which was the height of the COVID epidemic. We're averaging 5.5 major index crimes a day this year in the subway system, uh, and in a system that's averaging three-plus million riders a day. Wow. So, well, that's great news. news. That's, here's the problem. We're going to have to go through a break in, in a couple of seconds. Chief Kemper, the problem is the fear factor. People are still scared to ride the subway. Anybody else? Anybody in the studio ride the subway? Uh, Rudy, Rudy does. Washington, Rudy does. Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington. Uh, yeah, Chief. I just wanted to comment on our previous guest, Kathy Wow, what she said. In 77, the explosion we had in terms of businesses coming back, and then once again in 94, it all had to do with, with crime. Once we arrest crime, business is going to come. But unless we get our arms around this question of crime, uh, we're going to struggle economically in trying to revive the city. I believe the crime question has to be answered first, and the economic people will follow. To, Rudy, people have to feel good. Exactly. We, the numbers are the numbers, but people have to feel good and say, I'm going to let my 14-year-old go down the subway and go to school. You know how we knew we turned the city around? By sitting outside of um, Bryan Park. Where would, all you of let sudden, your kids, would you let your kids uh, veto uh, ride the subways? I would not encourage it. No, I would not. Okay. Yeah, and I, have, I honestly I haven't ridden the subway for a long time. That is the problem, and we'd like to have you back and because then we'll have more time on it. But uh, Chief Kemper, keep fighting for our city, and thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you very much. A lot to talk about. Be well. Thank you for putting more cops on the subways. We appreciate that. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And now we have another powerful lady uh, uh, with us today. We have uh, Francine Lefrak, who helps so many people in, in Africa, so many people in New Jersey, uh, very charitable. And uh, Francine Lefrak, tell us what you do. Well, first, I want to say happy International Women's Day. And I want to remind you, John, that we as women will reach gender parity. And I'm inviting you in 300 years. That's as far back as we are. I'll meet you there. And I'm going to tell you something very interesting. Yes. Less than 30 percent of women have accounts in the stock market. Yet women control sixty percent of the money, but we don't have. A have they killed their the husbands? <laughs> John wants to know if they a... killed their husbands to get there. <laughs> yeah, no seat at the table yet, John. Okay. But Margot has a seat at the table, and Rita has a seat at the table. And thank you, John, for supporting women, for lifting women up, and for believing in International Women's. By the way, big, I, big time. I believe in women. I believe in. I respect strong women. Yeah, and by the way, did you see you even picked uh, uh, Cindy Adams as the Grand Marshal, which I love for our WABC International Women's Day event. So we've got a lot of great strong women here. And Francine, you are amazing. Um, you know, I adore you and I love you. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do, because you, as John just mentioned, you do stuff around the world. Yeah. Listen, I'm very blessed to be able to work with in, formerly incarcerated women, women just getting out of Hudson County Jail, 
We have impacted about 3,000 of them because right now there are a million women in the justice system in America, and we want to do something to get them out of the justice system because more than 50% have children that are under 18, and we've got to stop this generational thing. So what we do is we provide health care and we provide job training. Some of them are going to be in construction and get four cards that they would be able to use in any state. Some are working towards being peer drug counselors. And right now we have a course with Hudson County Junior College to make them be and you work very closely. Don't you work closely with Governor McGreevy in New Jersey? I do. I do. And I started working with these formerly incarcerated women making jewelry. And it was such an exciting thing to see these women leave the prison system and not go back, take charge of their children, get real jobs, get real jobs. And it's been so wonderful that they... You know, that we stop this terrible recidivism rate because women are the fastest growing segment of the prison population. I think you know that. And the recidivism rate can be up to 80 percent in the first two years. Wow. But we have a track record where we don't, you know, our women don't go back to prison because that is wonderful. I heard you have a great track record. They want jobs. They want to be trained. They don't want a handout. They want the dignity of work. And, you know, Marco's always been a great supporter. And I just want you to know that I'm very, very blessed to have worked with phenomenal women who survived the Rwandan genocide. And right now, 1,000 of them are running their own businesses. And they're making local products Thank like you. baskets. And We're almost out of time. Judge Weinberg, you wanted to say something. Francine, you're absolutely right. There's a great book. Called, they all come back, but they all come back. It's about the problem of recidivism. You have to give them skills and values so they don't recidivate. And That's she is doing point. that. By the way, Thank everybody, you. check out uh, Same Sky Foundation. Francine, we love you. Happy International and, Women's uh, Day. We're going to be uh, International the Women's Day. Thank you so much. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And joining us now is Melissa DeRosa. Melissa, of course, was the right-hand person, the senior staffer, of course, to then-Governor Cuomo. Great to have you here and great to have another power woman here on the show, Melissa. Great to be back with you guys. How are you? We're doing great. You know, I know you want to talk about... um, a bit about the change in crime climate, if you will, and also the way that the Biden administration, it's been interesting because some Democrats, could it be they're heading towards an election year or or a uh, re-election effort that they seem to be changing their tune? You know, it's interesting. You're watching what's sort of playing out in Washington, D.C. today. Washington, D.C. has a home rule policy, meaning that historically the city council and the mayor dictate the rules that their city function under, but they're not a state. So everything that they do has to go through Congress, as Congressman King well knows. And so the city council tried to rewrite the crime rules for New- for Washington, D.C., which were very outdated and there were a lot of complaints about. But sort of in, a, in what I believe is a pattern of when the left tries to get involved in this topic, they went way too far and overcorrected. And so, you know, they passed this bill where they 
got rid of mand- mandatory minimums for a number of crimes except first degree murder. They got they wanted to have something in there that said any prisoner at any time can apply for parole regardless of their sentencing. So it just it went way too far. And the mayor, who's also a Democrat, vetoed it. And then the city council overruled it. So then it goes to Congress and shocking many in his own party. The president came out and said, I support the mayor in, in this. And I think that on this one, we shouldn't respect home rule. Crime is a problem in Washington, D.C. And, and this bill goes too far, essentially, in some substance. Now, any- now, Melissa, it seems like there's a real feud, though, between AOC and Chuck Schumer. Because Schumer basically is agreeing with Biden. And AOC says they're both traitors to the Democratic cause. Well, and that, and I was just about to say, and then today Chuck Schumer comes out and says he agrees with Biden. And frankly, you know, look, I have my disagreements with, with Senator Schumer. He's absolutely right on this one. And the president is right on this one. And I think that all too often in the last few years, the moderates in the party have cowed to the far left, left extremists like AOC and, you know, being afraid of sort of the defund police movement and not speaking up and not just to their political detriment, but governmentally to the detriment of public safety. And so, you know, I think this is a little bit of a civil war brewing on the left which is, you know, only good for Republicans. But at the same time, it gives me hope that the party is sort of coming back to its senses and saying, you know, we've got to internalize the message of Chicago. We've got to understand San Francisco. We've got to understand the losses in New York. And we have to get that public safety's job one. So the, the, mayor, the mayor's race in Chicago was the canary in the coal mine. Eighty-four percent of Democratic voters rejected the mayor in large part, if not entirety, because of the way she handled crime in the city of Chicago. Now I think people in Washington on the Democratic side are saying we need to wake up and they're going to look every which way to attach themselves as crime fighters. And I hope it continues because it needs to continue. And Vito, even Eric Adams, uh, mayor of New York, came out and said that that election was basically a wake up call to Democrats across America. Your thoughts, Melissa? Well, you know, it's uh, one thing I will say, because I do agree, I think a lot of Democrats are just refinding their voice. Joe Biden was one of the original authors, authors of the 94 crime bill, which, you know, there was a lot of backlash afterwards in terms of over incarceration. And I think that that bill went a little bit too far to the right. But, you know, Biden has been common sense on this issue his entire career. So I'm glad that he's found his voice on it here in New York. You know, Eric Adams was elected as a pro cop platform pro-public safety after de Blasio, who was just a total nightmare on this topic. And that was the people of New York, I think, also in our own way, saying we want public safety, we want law and order, we want quality of life. Melissa? And so, you know, yep, go ahead. It's Richard Weinberg. The, the problem is that Mayor Adams is, is doing as much as he can, but you still have a state legislature, and you know this world better than I. You have a state legislature both in the Assembly and the state Senate they're not giving an inch about bringing back common sense laws, both procedures and substantive laws with respect to crime and, and law enforcement. And until that's cleaned up, Adams can only do so much. The question becomes, as you've pointed out previously on the show, what does this governor do to get the legislature in line as part of the budget process to clean up this disaster that the legislature has fostered upon us? No, so that's the perfect segue. So, you know, now we're sort of going barreling towards April 1st, which is the budget deadline. And, you know, the $20,000 question is, is Kathy Hochul actually going to force some real meaningful changes on bail reform and, you know, discovery and some other things? And, you know, look, historically, I think that bail discovery, a lot of the criminal justice laws in New York 
really were, it was sort of a societal injustice how far to the right they were. There was a good faith effort to try to, to, to answer for that. But in doing that, you know, a couple of years in, you see it's gone too far. And being a leader means recalibrating, seeing what worked, what didn't work, and amending. Um, so, you know, she was out yesterday saying, calling the bail laws, um, I think that she, she said she used some word. She was like the terrible bail laws. She went, it was the language she used, I, I thought, went too far if the goal is to get the legislature on board. Well, Melissa, um, this is Rudy Washington. Uh, they, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Washington has a long way to go to get any credibility back with me. They can't just tack to the middle every election and then go crazy left. I mean, I look at what happened in the summer of 2020. Uh, basically, nobody's convicted. People die. Over 500 riots across the city. President Biden, our well, Justice April Department. 1st. April, we're, April 1st is our next challenge, Rudy. April 1st is our challenge in Albany, whether Kathy Hochul, governor, has enough uh, uh, testicles to go uh, against the state Senate and win. And if she doesn't, well, John, we're in trouble. Yes, we're, well, in, so deep, that, we're in deep crap if she doesn't. We don't want her to have tex- well, testicles, but guts. How about that? You guys? <laughs> I, I can't say it. Women's you know? day. I can't. It's Women's Day. I can say it. But, but no, John, I mean, I mean, you're right. And I guess my point is that sort of watching it all play out and talking to the people that I'm talking to on the inside, she very clearly wants to remove the least restrictive standard, which for your listeners means the judge's hands are sort of tied when they're sentencing someone during, or I'm sorry, during the pending process between when they're tried and potential parole with doing the least restrictive standard, getting rid of dangerousness or adding dangerousness as a standard so judges have more discretion. And she wants these things, but the way she's going about it publicly, I think are going to end up blowing up in her face. I think that she went out and sort of put her foot in her mouth yesterday. She had a senator with her who was supporting her. An hour after the event, he walked back his supportive statement from her, which I imagine wow. came from leadership saying, you know, which senator was that? She just said it was a sign of Jer- Jeremy Cooney, who's out in Rochester. And so, you know, it's just there is an art form to landing the plane, which, you know, Congressman King can tell you when you're trying to build a coalition, when you're trying to move people together and, and you just see with her in this recurring way that she keeps screwing it up. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that she'll get there. But, you know, the jury is out and she hasn't really done anything. To show Melissa yeah. DeRosa, I respect you. You're one Thank tough you, woman. I, I would love to be in a foxhole with you anytime. Absolutely. And, uh, thank you. And we're going to have to take a break and we'll have you on again real soon. Thank you. Thank you. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And joining us now with his big bombshell comments that just came out a few minutes ago is Senator Lindsey Graham. Senator, everybody is talking about your statements today. You made a big press conference about really going tough on the cartels in Mexico. Tell us about it. It's so great to have you here on the show. Well, one, uh, hey, John, I'm glad to be on the show. It's pretty simple. Um, 70,000 Americans are dying each year from fentanyl poisoning. It's coming from drug cartels in Mexico uh, who have suppliers in China. And we've been trying to stop it, and we failed miserably, and I'm ready to change the game. These drug cartels in Mexico have been terrorizing Americans uh, uh, in Mexico across the border. Four South Carolinians, two were killed, two were 
kidnapped and tortured by drug cartels just yesterday. So what am I doing? I'm treating them like terrorists. They're not common criminals. They're terrorists. So I've got a bill to make uh, the major drug cartels in Mexico foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law so we can go after them like we do the Revolutionary Guard in Iran. Uh, They're responsible for killing more Americans every year than car wrecks and gun violence combined. And uh, I want to designate them as terrorists. That will give us more ability to prosecute and go after them. Secondly, I want to give the U.S. military the ability, the legal authority to blow these labs up. I'm not talking about invading Mexico or changing the Mexican government. I am talking about using force against terrorists like we do all over the world. We kill terrorists every night in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan, all over the world in Africa. Well, this group, these drug cartels, are killing more Americans than the Vietnam War uh, every year, uh, you know, over a 10-, 12-year period. So we need to treat them like terrorists. We need to put all tools on the in the toolbox to deal with this threat, including using the military. I want the drug cartels to feel the terror that they're giving us. I want them to rest very poorly at night wondering if that whizzing sound is a missile coming in and killing them. Do you have uh, support from uh, both sides on this, uh, Senator? I've got support on the Republican side for sure. I believe I'll have Democratic support uh, for making these drug cartels foreign terrorist organizations. In 1999 and 2000, Bill Clinton, called Plan Columbia, allowed the U.S. military to go to Columbia, the country, to deal with the cocaine problem. We sent uh, advisors. They were on the ground with the Colombian military to eradicate the FARC, which was a terrorist organization, a communist-leaning terrorist organization that made their money off cocaine. I want to replicate that but even go bolder because fentanyl is so Dangerous. It is killing more Americans every year than car wrecks and gun violence combined, 70,000 last year, and climbing. So what I want to do is use the model created in Colombia by Clinton in Mexico. Make them foreign terrorist organizations so we can prosecute them more effectively, and if necessary, use the military to go after their drug labs. I, I think every American agrees with you. Uh, I thought the number of uh, Americans killed in the last 12 months was closer to about 107,000, according to the DEA that was on our show. And you're killing a... from fentanyl. Yeah, yeah, I mean, from fentanyl. I mean, 100,000 Americans, I mean, that is a sin. I mean, to allow this to happen, it is a sin, uh, Senator. Well, it's just unacceptable. On 9-11, the the terrorists attacked us. Uh, and kill less than 3,000 Americans. God bless them all. And we've been at war with these guys ever since, trying to kill them before they kill us. Pearl Harbor, uh, the Japanese attack, uh, we went to war until the war, you know, we took Tokyo and Berlin. We're in a war with drug cartels. They're getting their... And they kill that many every week. They kill that many every week almost. And and by the way, the two, and of course, we're talking to the senator from South Carolina. There was just that uh, terrible killing of the two Americans in Mexico from South Carolina. From South Carolina. They were South Carolina residents. They were going to Mexico for a medical procedure. Uh, they were mistaken, apparently, for Haitian uh, drug traffickers. Uh, two were killed. Uh, two were kidnapped and tortured. I talked to the families today. Uh, everywhere I go, all over South Carolina, all over the country, you hear about somebody losing a kid, taking a drug they thought was 
something else, and it turned out to be fentanyl. The the uh, Columbia, uh, the uh, Mexican drug cartels are living loud. They're living well. They're living high off the blood of Americans. Uh, they live out in the open. They don't live in caves like the terrorists. They're flaunting their wealth, and the Mexican government is a failed narco state when it comes to the drug cartels. Mexico either needs to up their game or we need to change our, our game, one of the two. Yeah. I agree. And everybody, we're talking to Senator Lindsey Graham here on Cats and Cosby. Um, you know, Senator, I want to ask you, too, about do you think this White House, though, has the will? And what about the role of Mexico? Do they have the will uh, well, to go after you know, it? Isn't that the ultimate question? How as a nation could we let this continue to happen? You can blame us all. It's not a Republican, Democratic problem. It's an American problem. And, and here's what I would say. The current construct doesn't work. We're not doing enough. It's not working. So does the Mexican government have the capability, uh, lack of capability, or is it lack of will? I don't know it's the same result. Whether they're trying hard and can't do it or they don't care, it's the same result for us. Mexico I think you have too many people on the payoff down there. Killing, killing Americans. Yeah, John was saying too many people on the payoff. I mean, look, even the head of security, who's basically the attorney general of Mexico, uh, John, just got charged. Right. And, and, yeah. and a foreign terrorist organization designation would allow prosecution of people in Mexico or China who are providing material support to the terrorist group, the drug cartel. And that would be a game changer. Yeah, that would be. And actually, just you opened up the door, too, right? Because anybody else tied to yeah. it, whether it's yeah. a China or somewhere else. Um, Senator yeah, Lindsey Graham. We love you. We appreciate having you here on the show, and you got to come back on again soon. You know I love you because you're a Gamecock. You went to University of South Carolina <laughs> like I did. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Hi, Thank John. you, Senator. Take care. Appreciate what y'all do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay.